my glasses. They're pretty, but they're not too cooperative with glasses. We did have uh, a wonderful time in the Lord with the ladies and some gentlemen this weekend. And I appreciate the ladies of the church that just pitched in and worked and uh, ran me out of the kitchen, actually. That's worse. <laughs> Can't see it all now. <laughs> I might have to just quote from memory. Will do. Thank you. Um, but the ladies were so helpful. They have been all down through the years from the first conference when I actually wasn't even a regular part of Christian family. Um, they wanted to know what they could do. And so they have just stepped in every year and gone above and beyond just to help and to, to make the conference uh, just a joy. By the time we get to the conference time, the worst is usually over. Uh, it is what it is. And, um, but the Lord always brings it together and, and makes it what he wants it to be. The speakers are ordained of the Lord. We, I talk to the ladies, and there's some that they like to come back every year, and Shirley Darnell and Susan Hartle. Um, but the Lord kind of sets the tone and what he wants to do. And the first scripture I'm going to read is out of the Passion Version, and it's going to kind of close out that part because that isn't what the Lord gave me for you today. I think we've been joyed out, you know. Uh, <laughs> this weekend, you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, but we do all come, you know, we come through trials and temptations and things, and you say, Lord, why? In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, the third verse all praise belongs to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. For he always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in painful trials. We can bring them the same comfort that God has poured out upon us. That's the key. That's why. It's not all for you and for your growth and for, uh, for your walk with the Lord. It's, so, it's boot camp so that you can come along with someone else when they're going through hard times and maybe they don't have that steadfastness in the Lord that you do and maybe they don't know where the strength comes from. And so you can come alongside them and just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own suffering, even more of God's comfort will cascade us unto and through our union with Christ. If troubles weigh us down, and that just means that we will receive even more comfort to pass on to you for your deliverance. And for the comfort pouring into us empowers us to be 
comfort to you and with this comfort upholds you and you can endure victoriously the same suffering that we experience. Now our hope for you is unshakable because we know that just as you share in our suffering, you will also share in God's comforting strength. That's the key. That's the reason. It's not for naught. It's not that God's mad at you and God's punishing you. It's to train you. Because it's, we don't live under ourselves. There are always other people that we influence, no matter what your stature in life. Sister Linda walked in last night. She said, you're so short. <laughs> last year, Connie, when Sister Connie come in, she said, you are really tiny, <laughs> you know. <coughs> she was tall. That's my outward stature. You know, that's what you see. But it is not what I am in the Lord. You know, he, he makes us what he wants us to be. Uh, we're challenged when we go to the grocery store and there are things we want that are up high. But people think we're helpless, you know. We're, we're short. We're helpless. So they come alongside us. This one little guy in, in Kroger's one day, he said, because I was looking for something, and he said, can I help you? And I said, well, what I was looking for. And he said, well, I'll show you. And so he stayed with me, and I couldn't disappoint him. What I was going to buy was on this shelf, but he stayed with me, so I bought what was on that shelf, the same thing, just so he'd feel good. But <coughs> anyway, so be it. So it's not, not, not that bad being short. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When I left here last night, I had not a clue what we were going to talk about today. And that's scary. You know, I thought, Lord, did we miss it? It's usually when I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm not supposed to do anything. It's somebody else. And, and so, <coughs> but I thought, Lord, my name's up there. I'm supposed to be talking. What is it I'm going to do? <coughs> and so he he waited till we got home, and all the way home on the, on the ride home, I think, Lord, you're going to have to give me something. And so we got a, uh, Sherman had drove us in the truck, and so I got out of the truck and I started to walk, and I made one step, and the Lord said, "Prophesy." Okay. I took another step. He said, "Prophesy." I took about six steps, and he said, "Prophesy." Lord, I get it. Every step was louder. And so he took me over to Ezekiel, <coughs> the 37th chapter, and I have all my little sticky notes because I'm still old school and I like to read out of something in my hand besides a computer or a, a phone. <coughs> And he took me to the Valley of Dry Bones. And the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, the first verse, and the hand of the Lord was upon me, and though he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, it was full of bones. 
And he led me back and forth among you, among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley and bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. This is a little tall for short people. So I can get that where I can read it. And my print's small. And I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying these bones, there was a noise, a rattling sound that the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked and tenions, tenions, whatever, ten, yeah, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. And flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and as I commanded me, as he had commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. A vast army. And the Lord told me to prophesy. And I said, Lord, if you tell me to, I can. Am I supposed to prophesy to the people? But that wasn't what he had in mind. Hallelujah. We're going to go over. Let me get my other notes to tell me what I'm actually talking about. Acts 16, guys. What are we prophesying? What are we declaring and what are we proclaiming? I was listening to Lance the other day that's on Flashpoints all now. Yeah. I was listening to him the other day and he was talking about his son. And his son wasn't doing exactly what he wanted him to do. And he, he uh, had a friend that confronted him. And he says, what are you saying about your son? What are you prophesying about your son? And he thought about it. You know, li death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we have so much authority in the Lord when we belong to the Lord that it changes things. What are we prophesying about our children, about our families? Are we saying they're never going to amount to anything? 
Are you speaking word curses over the ones that you love? Are you speaking word curses over yourself? I can't do that. Do you ever tell yourself you can't do that? You know, the Lord, when he was telling me, prophesy, 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 I said, Lord, I can do it if you tell me to. Because who he calls, he equips. But we are prophesying things we don't want to happen in our lives with our mouth. We are calling in lack so often when we say, we never have enough money. Hmm. How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to take it? You know, if we waited till we had, sometimes you know I was going to go this way, but if we waited till we had enough money, we'd never have kids. <laughs> really? Really? They're expensive. Whether you know it or not, they're expensive. Even little, and the older they get, the more expensive they get. And by the time they're grown, you have invested thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in these little ones. But they're a blessing of the Lord. That's what the word says. That your quiver should be full. So if God's going to fill your quiver with kids, isn't he going to provide for them? So, you know, we have the kids and it just seems like you have whatever you need to take care of them. But the most important thing with our families is their salvation. And we're going to read just we're going to read just little bits of different things uh, to to bring to mind the different subjects that we we prophesy over. Okay, and this one is Paul and Silas, and we've read it we've read it a hundred times. But there's something I want you to catch in the 16th verse of the 16th chapter. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, the enemy always has a counterfeit for what God has. Only they operate by familiar spirits, not by the spirit of God. So they can tell you things about your past, about your present. And if you're not in the word, you can be deceived by psychics, by fortune tellers. They have the gift, but they're not operating in it correctly or the way it should be. But she earned a great deal of money for her owners by foretelling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of the uh, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, which was telling you the way to be saved. Now, she was proclaiming the truth because they weren't. But she was, she was a hindrance and a nuisance to them. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, see, she was operating by a spirit, but it wasn't the spirit of God. I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave girl 
realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city in an uproar. Now, who knows? Now, you ought to know that it's going to upset the enemy when God's spirit's around and God's spirit's in people and they're proclaiming the things of the Lord, you're going to stir up some enemies and strife. By abdicating customs unlawful for us Romans to keep our practice, and the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And at midnight, okay, now here's your key, here's your clue. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundation of the prison was shaken, were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. If he was a Roman soldier and he was asleep on the job and they got loose, it meant his life. And so he was going to take it. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And this jailer called for lights and rushed and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was ready to be saved. He knew there was more than what he had. And they replied, now this is what I want you to get. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, your household's in disorder, okay? Just say, your household's in disorder. You take this word of God. You use this word of God. It's your sword. You pray the word of God. Only you don't pray the, oh, woe is me, Lord, look what my, you say, Devil, you're not getting my family. You proclaim with your mouth that your family will be saved by the word of God. He said, your household, not just you, your household. Lord, your word says my household will be saved. I believe it. I claim that. So I declare that. I thank you my children walk in, in truth. I thank you that my family serves you all the days of their life. I thank you that my family finds their purpose in you and walks in it. You use the word of God. That's where your power is. That's what Jesus did. He spoke the word. The, the scripture says he watches over his word to perform it. The words of our mouth send forth the angels. And whether your kids are in the gutter or whether they're in a palace, God can draw them out. He can bring them to the place that they need to be. 
and it should not be woe is me when we belong to the Lord, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, you declare and decree, my children walk in truth. My children are saved. My children are walking with the Lord. That's right. The word says it. Our families, our households. Claim it. Okay, that's one area of our life. Okay, let's go to another area. Um, let's go to Philippians 4.19, guys. Okay, you've got lack. You just haven't got enough. You know, you're, the month still running and your finances haven't. What does the word say? What does the word say? In Philippians 4.19, what does the word say? And my God will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So what are you declaring? You're declaring your lack? Are you declaring my Lord meets all of my needs according to his glory? You know, his riches in Christ Jesus. There's no lack in heaven. That doesn't mean you'll drive a Rolls Royce. Or you live in a palace. But that means what you need, the necessities of life, you can declare and decree with your mouth. You can prophesy with your mouth, my Lord supplies all my needs, whatever they are. If I need a car, if I need a roof over my head, if I need clothes, if I need food on my table, the Lord can supply it if I need a job. The word says you don't work, you don't eat. We had a pastor that's quoted that pretty regularly. And our grandkids that raised up in our house, they got that. I mean, they, they figured that out. When they got out of high school, they never asked for money. They all got jobs. They went to college. We did not, Sherman and I did not, I'll s I won't say none, but they made their own arrangements for college. They paid their own bills. We didn't, we didn't say you need to. We didn't do any of that. But they were learned the principles of work just come naturally. Our granddaughter posted something on Facebook Father's for Father's Day, and uh, Sherman doesn't do Facebook, and he doesn't even know it. But she said uh, she lived next door to us for a while, and um, after she was grown and married, and she was doing college, so she was home some doing it online a lot, and so she was home and. and there wasn't anything went on at our house that she didn't know about, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Papa, as Sherman was called, uh, she said one of her fondest memories, he had ordered some raw, uh, chat or something, and they had just dumped it in a pile. It was, it, it was rocks or sand or something. So he was getting a wheelbarrow. And he was in his 70s at the time, okay? 
and they were ready to put us all out to pasture, you know. <laughs> so we would have been invalids if we would have listened to the grandkids, but they're very protective, which is honorable. Uh, but anyway, she said, so she saw him out there shoveling and putting this in there. And um, so she went out to help. If, he, if her husband wasn't home, and if he was home, she'd send him out to help. But if, if he wasn't home, she went out to help. And, and she said, I was so tired. And, and Sherman's kind of a workhorse. I don't know. Um, anyway, he, if there's a job to do, he would do it until it was done. And she said, I was so tired. But I thought, now he's in his 70s, and he's still going. I can't quit now. <laughs> But but God, he supplies our needs. He takes care of us because we're his dear, dear children no matter what your age. He will do that. But we can use his word to do that. Okay, let's go to Exodus 23. Another thing we are concerned about a lot of times is our health. In Exodus 23 and 25, it says, Worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and water, and I will take away sickness from among them. Is that one you can stand on? There's a lot of scripture on health and healing. It's a lot better to be healthy than to have to be healed, though. Isn't it? Isn't it? We're blessed, praise the Lord, with good health. We are blessed. I went to the dentist. I was about 40, I guess. He said, I wish I brought my camera. You've got every tooth in your head. I still do. No cavities? Nothing. Can you believe that? Yeah. He said, I wish I had a camera so I, so I don't see that very often. That's a blessing of the Lord. Good health is a blessing of the Lord. It's part of our inheritance if we'll claim it. And we need to walk in it. But we need to use wisdom. Okay? We can't live on McDonald's fries and... Um, and be foolish. I mean, we have to use good, good sense. But we can walk in good health. But God can heal us if we've been foolish and abused our bodies somewhere along the line and haven't taken care of ourselves. God can heal us. He can raise us up. Hallelujah. But we use the word to declare and decree, prophesy. I prophesied that I'm, I'm not going to be sick to die. I'm just going to lay down. I told the ladies this. I fully believe, and I'm claiming it with my mouth, that I will just go to sleep and wake up in glory. Isn't that the way to go? I'm prophesying that with my mouth. That's what's going to happen. So if you hear someday that <clears throat> I just didn't wake up, just praise the Lord. I've gone on. 
<coughs> but I'm declaring that. Now this one is, mm, are you going to love me after this? <laughs> uh, Ephesians 5.25. And we're getting in marriages now. Sherman and I have been married several years. <laughs> mm, a lot longer than some of you have been alive. <coughs> We've kind of learned some things along the way. But the word says... Uh, Ephesians 5.25. In our day and time, men don't seem to know their place. They've listened to the lies of the enemy. They have let culture influence them. And, and women, ladies, we have played a part. As a gender, we have played a part in some of that. Um, but it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the way the husband is to love his wife. Can I ask a question? <coughs> How many gentlemen in here, <coughs> when you had small children, and you went to the bathroom, and you had, are you in there? Are you in there? Dad, are you in there? Can any of you men raise your hand? A few of them. Good. Some of the younger ones, good. Okay, women, how many of you have had that experience? <laughs> Chelsea will. She will in her future. So often, <coughs> women have two jobs. In this day and time, women have two jobs. Now, a man wants to go somewhere. What's he do? He gets his keys. He sees he's got his wallet, and he's out the door. A mama not so easy. A mama has to see, do I have everything my kids need? Are they clean? Are they, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like moving. It's, when you have a little one, it's like moving. If they outgrow the diaper bag, mama's purse is usually big. And you have snacks in there in case they get hungry. You may have something for them to drink in case they're thirsty. The thing weighs 100 pounds, and you lug it around. Dustin, my uh, grandson's little wife, she's about, she's maybe a little taller than me, not much. She's a little. And she will lug a big old diaper bag and, and, a, and a, a backpack and all kinds of things. And go out the door and have a kid, you know, in tow. Uh, that's the woman's life. She has a job usually. She comes home, and what's she got? She's got to fix supper. She's got laundry to do. She's got to 
see that the dishes are done. She's got to see that the homework's done. And what's the guy doing? He's come in. I've worked all day. I'm tired. I'm not talking about my husband, okay? He's a sweetheart, and he has matured till he loves me like Christ loves the church, and that's wonderful. So I'm not talking about him. Maybe the early days, but not now. But, <laughs> but it's different. And she is so tired by the end of the day. And Dad's been watching the ball game, or, and, and he may have gotten hungry after supper, and he got a snack, and, and he took it in and set it down on the coffee table, and he, he got something to drink, and he set it there. And then he decided something else he needed to do, and that's there. And it, he expects it to just miraculously disappear off that coffee table and get clean and get put up. And he's added more to the burden of his wife. You may not realize it, guys. It affects every area of your marriage when you don't pitch in. Well, we're all adults here, so I'll make this statement. Kevin Lehman, I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's a, he's a psychologist, kind of a comedian-type man. He said sex begins in the kitchen, and it's not a dirty thing. It's the way you treat your wife. If you respect her enough to pitch in, to clean up after yourself, she's not your maid, she's not your mother, she's your wife. She needs the respect and the love. And when you treat her that way, then everything else will fall into place. But if you don't, she's going to be too tired for you. You might as well forget it. You get the picture, guys? That's the truth. That's the honest truth. The young mother and wife is so exhausted at the end of the day. Sometimes she doesn't even have the energy hardly to take a bath, much less anything else. But it goes on in the, in, I don't think I had this in my notes, but it's at the bottom of that chapter. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that's important. Ladies, that's important. Do you put him down? Do you criticize? If he tries to help you and he hasn't done it exactly the way you would do it, do you, you do criticize him? Do you come behind him and redo it? It takes both sides. You know, it, we, you have to have mutual respect for each other. Since Sherman's retired, he didn't do a lot of housework and stuff before he retired, but I'm still working. And um, 
he has his schedule. He does. I don't, I don't say, sermon, you need to do this. He himself determines that he needs to help me more. So he has a schedule. On Thursday, we got one of those little sweeper things, you know, the little automatic Charlie we call him at our house. I don't, you call him whatever you want to call him at your house. But he, he gets Charlie out every, before I go to work on Thursday morning. He has Charlie on the move. <laughs> and so, he, you know, Charlie, he, he goes to the living room. He goes to the bedrooms. And, you know, Charlie can get under the bed easier than we can. And he'll, he'll take the rugs up. And, and it's such a help to me that he does that. I never tell him, you need to take out the garbage. You need to take out the trash. He looks... Now, guys, young guys, listen to this. He looks for ways to please me. He looks. I don't say, Sherman, you need to do this. He automatically does that because he loves me. And if you love your wives, you're going to do the same because some of that stuff is so irritating. The garbage can pile up or the trash can pile up and the men are just oblivious. But is that the truth? Huh? So you need to be a little more uh, no, notice him, guys. You show her the love and respect, and you will have a long marriage like he had. We still love each other. We still, you know, Enjoy each other's company. We've been married 64 years in October. Yeah. We were 16 and 18 when we got married, and they said it never lasts, but, it, but with God's help, it has. But he wants you to learn the mutual respect. It's not all about you. It's not all about me and my way, and what I want. When you get grown and married and with a family, you might as well forget that. But if you have that mutual love and respect for each other, it's a team effort. It should not be all put on mama, because mama's not your maid. Mama's not your wife. She's your partner, and that's the way it should be. God wants you to succeed in your, in your home life, in your family, and we have to put him first. The word says he's first. The man's the head of the house. The responsibilities may shift but it should be a mutual agreement, not that all gets piled on one or all gets piled on the other. But God wants you to declare and decree, a man shall leave his father and mother. They shall cling to his wife, and they will be one flesh. And that's God's design. And so what affects one affects the other. 
because you're partners in the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what are you going to declare? What are you going to prophesy? I'm going to prophesy a long life, a long married life, happily married life, not just enduring. <laughs> well, haven't you been around some couples that just made you uncomfortable? That they just picked and bickered? And, yeah. That isn't the way God intended it to be. He intended for us to have peace in our homes. His peace in our homes. So if we'll put him first and be in line the way it's supposed to be, you will have a successful home life. You will have children that feel secure because mama and daddy love each other. And if, if that union is not strong and if, if you don't have a the, uh, where you're together, especially in thought and action and deed concerning the children, they'll pit you against each other if you'll let them. Those little boogers know what to do, you know. They know how to get to you. <laughs> so if one says, can I do so-and-so when they get a little bigger, and Mama says, go ask your daddy. Daddy shouldn't say, go ask your Mama, but you should be. You should already decide the things and the, and the standards you want to set for your household. And that way, the kids will be secure knowing what you expect. But you can't expect them to know what you expect if you never tell them, if you never teach them. And that's the, the responsibility of the parents. First of all, to teach them about the Lord and the things of the Lord. And then to teach them how to succeed in life. But they do need to work. They do need to, to earn the things that they get. And you can teach that to your children. We used to have a, when the grandchildren were there, we had a, had a chore chart. So some things they needed to do just because they were part of the family. Okay, But there were some extra things. And so we had this little chore chart, and they got maybe a dime for this or, you know, quarter for something bigger. And um, the older granddaughter discovered if she would hurry up and do everybody else's chores, she got more money. It got to where we couldn't hardly afford her, uh, <coughs> but it made the others a little bit lazy. But it was it was so funny when uh, the babysitter, I was still working, and we had a babysitter, and she <coughs> uh I don't know if they'd had a bath or what. And they were taught to take their um, their clothes to the laundry room. And they got a little bit of something to do that, to train them to do that. And so uh, <coughs> she, the babysitter didn't know that, okay? So she was going to take the things. They grabbed it up. No, they weren't going to. She wasn't going to knock them out or earn any money. But you can teach them different ways. But you have to set the example. God wants you to be the example. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this day, for the opportunity to be here, God, to uh, speak to the people. Forth your word, God. We just speak a blessing over them.
the young couples especially, God, the young families, may they grasp the principles of God and may they use that as the model for their homes. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Zach, it's all yours. Amen. Wasn't that a good word? Let's stand. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to come together to, to be encouraged. Thank you for a great weekend and for a wonderful